Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. This morning in Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter four, uh, verses one. What I just read to you, chapter cha- Jonah chapter four, verses one through four, is where we are this morning. A couple more weeks in Jonah as we have worked through this book, this book of this prophet uh, during the summer. The story of Jonah is nothing less than shocking, is it not? It's shocking on multiple levels, is it not? There is a prophet on the run. He's been thrown into the sea. The sea calms a whale. A large fish swallows him. He lives three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. He's vomited up on dry land. The Lord comes to him a second time. He gets a second chance. He obeys. He goes to the one of the most ruthless people in, in history, the Ninevites who are part of the Assyrian Ninevite uh, empire. I told you last week they would stack people's heads up in pyramids. They would disembowel people and hang them on the city walls. They would cut people's nose off in order to mark them as their slaves. They were sick people. And God sends Jonah with the message, you have 40 days to repent or the Lord will overthrow you. And sure enough, the people repent. What a story, a true story. Jesus even says that these Ninevites will stand up on the last day as one who repented of their sin and believed the message of Jonah, this great city, this exceedingly great city, this exceedingly evil city, saw a revival from the Lord. I imagine if this was a movie I was thinking about this week, I kind of would like this story to end right here, right now. Wouldn't you? Jonah chapter 3, the end. Let's not even get to chapter 4. I wish it would end right there, right? I, I, I wish it would end kind of like, a, the, the picture I had in my head was like the first Karate Kid. That was one of my favorite movies growing up. I had the outfit. I had the black belt. I had, I had, I had the whole thing. I had the crane kicked down. Loved the Karate Kid. I imagine it ending something like that, right? Daniel LaRusso, he gets the second chance. He thought he was knocked out. He thought he was done. He miraculously has enough strength to get a second chance. He faces Johnny. He does the crane kick right to the face, and they lift him up. The music crescendos. It builds. It builds. This victorious music builds. He gets the trophy. He holds it up. He looks over to Mr. Miyagi. You remember this, right? Because you know this movie as well as I do, right? Am I the only one? I'll tell you what happens. He looks over at Mr. Miyagi, his mentor, and he gives this kind of like sly smile like, you could trust me. I told you you could trust me. I kind of wish this would end right here. And you get this picture of Jonah. He's this great preacher, great prophet, and Nineveh repents. And he, he looks to the Lord, and you see the Lord saying, you could trust me. You could trust me. Look what's happened in Nineveh. The end. What a testimony that would be, Right? I mean, Jonah could go on a circuit of church growth at this point and say, you can trust the word of the Lord. No, 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 no programs. Just preach the word and you will see people come to faith. This is what happened. I preached this lousy message of repent and you will be overthrown. And the people believed God. The end. I wish you would end right there, don't you? But the Lord has something else for us this morning. The Bible says that these things are written that our hearts might be searched, that we might know the Lord, that we might be changed by that. Can you imagine the legacy of, of, of Jonah if it would have stopped here? But the Lord has something else that he wants us to know. Last week, we saw 
Nineveh's response, did we not? Nineveh repented and trusted in the Lord. The story doesn't end with a glorious revival, though that did happen. Nineveh's response was that they repented, and we saw God's response, did we not? He relented from disaster, just as he had promised. If they repent and turn to him, disaster will be avoided. Judgment will not come, and sure enough, that is what happened. But this morning, point number one, section number one I want you to see is, is we need to see Jonah's response. How did Jonah respond to this revival? How did Jonah respond to this wicked city coming to know the Lord and being changed by it? How do we see Jonah respond? Let's read it again in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased. Can you imagine? It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. Do you hear how Jonah responds? Jonah is pouting. He is an emotional disaster. He even says at the end of this section that I wish I were dead. I would rather be dead than to see what's happening right now. Jonah is overwhelmed and he's this emotional disaster. He is a pouting prophet. He is throwing the most fantastic pity party ever. Kids, have you ever thrown a pity party before? Have you ever felt so bad for yourself that you sat in your room and sulked over something you shouldn't be sulking over? Yes, there are some who have done this. This is what Jonah's doing. Every party has a pooper, and Jonah is the party pooper. Imagine heaven rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Jonah sees over, likely over 120,000 people repent, and he pouts. And so Jonah prays again. He turns to the Lord. The first time he turned to the Lord in the belly of the fish, Jonah was thankful for the steadfast love of the Lord. Now he's exceedingly displeased with the steadfast love of the Lord, so much so that he wished he would die. What Jonah is saying is, over my dead body did I want to see Nineveh repent. Have you ever said that, that term before? You're not going out this house, young lady. Over my dead body will you go to that place. Maybe you've said that as a pet parent before. Over my dead, that's what Jonah's saying. I want Nineveh to repent over my dead body. I'd rather be dead than to see what I'm seeing right now. So much so that Jonah builds a booth and he sits outside the city, likely waiting for Nineveh to see some sort of calamity. And Jonah is angry about what he sees. And so let's start thinking about application right now. Because I think the Lord is, 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 is he's asking us a question here. These things, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us this, that these things are written so that you do not repeat the sins of the past and you can learn from them. This angers Jonah. Our hearts are often exposed by what either angers us or excites us. What really gets us going and what really gets us mad begins to expose some idols of our hearts. I don't have the answer for that for you right now, but, but, but you can think of this. What are some that, things you get really stressed about, really angry about? What are some things that you get really excited about? Those are probably the things that you love the most. We're not told just yet what that is for Jonah, but for now we know that he's angry. Sometimes we show more compassion and more passionate about worldly things than the salvation of the lost. What are you really passionate about? 
Do you want to see people saved? We're going to start asking that question to to ourselves. Do you want to see people saved? Do you just want more people like us to fill the pews and have churches in our area reshuffled? Or do you want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do we want to compare ourselves to other churches? Or do we want to compare our personal lives to other people's lives? Or what, 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 what do we want to see? What Jonah saw was not what he wanted to see. He thought God made a mistake. And God's asking him questions. He asked twice, should you, not be, should, should, I, should you be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Should you be angry about this, Jonah? And then he asked at the end, he, he ends the book with the question, should I not pity Nineveh? And so he's asking questions to our own heart right now. What are things that make you angry? Who do you have compassion upon? Do you have compassion upon our city? Do you have compassion upon people who are far from the Lord? And so we see Jonah's response. He's exceedingly angry about what's happened in Nineveh. The second thing that I want you to see this morning is not only the response of Jonah. We see that and we want to go down, 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 down into the heart of Jonah. As Jonah went down, down, down into the heart of the sea, we want to go down, down, down into Jonah's heart to see what's going on there, to see that there might be something we can learn from the life of Jonah. So we see Jonah's response. Let's go down, down, down. What is Jonah wrestling with? What's he struggling with here? We see in verse 2, it says this. Look at it. He says, and he prayed to the Lord. And he said, oh, Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, you might see this depending on what English translation of the Bible you have. Either it's translated out like this, or you might see a footnote in your Bible. It's a footnote in my Bible that Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 can be translated like this, that it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. It not only displeased him and it made him angry, but he considered, he was angry because he considered what happened in Nineveh to be evil, to be wrong. So what Jonah is wrestling with, follow along with me here, is not only his own response, not only is disappointed, but Jonah is praying, as I said in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He's wrestling not with what, but he's wrestling with who? He's wrestling with the Lord. And we're going to see with his own heart in a minute. But right now, as we go down, 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 we see he wasn't just disappointed. Jonah thought what happened was evil. It was wrong. It was unjust that God got it wrong. And and we might not see this in our own life. We we might not say that about big things in our lives, but, but there might be something you're struggling with right now that you don't understand why God did what he did. And you're wrestling with God. You're praying to the Lord. And right now, in your heart, you're struggling with that, much like Jonah. I wish I couldn't identify with Jonah, but sometimes I can identify with Jonah. That perhaps God got it wrong. And I'm really anxious about what's going on because God got it wrong. That's how Jonah feels at this moment. He's wrestling with God. As we go down, 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 we see as he wrestles with God, Jonah is wrestling. So let's get more specific. Let's go from panoramic to portrait. In the panoramic, God is wrestling with God. More particularly, Jonah is wrestling with understanding the ways of God. Prophets often struggled with this. The psalmist struggled with this. Psalm chapter 73 is all about that. I don't get what God is doing. 
I don't get why the wicked seem to flourish. I don't get why I'm trying to live my life to the glory of God and I seem to be suffering. I don't get why I try to be generous and I don't have two nickels to rub together. I don't get why I try to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and things just don't seem to be lining up. I don't get it. And yet the wicked seem to be getting away with things. The psalmist, Psalm 73, struggles with that. Jeremiah, you can read it, Jeremiah 12, 1. He asked that question, why do the wicked prosper? Jeremiah 15, verse 17, the prophet's asking, why am I suffering when I live a life that's good? And we struggle with this. We get angry. We think that following the Lord is going to make everything easy, and it doesn't always make things easy. And Jonah is wondering why all these miserable Ninevites have experienced the same grace of the Lord that he has. So Jonah has some questions. He's wrestling with God. Particularly, he's questioning the ways of God. God has failed to meet his expectations. So he's throwing a pity party. More particularly, the particular ways of God, Jonah is wrestling with the justice of God. Why did God not smite all of those people? They surely deserved it. And and they, they did. They were evil, wicked people. And the Bible even called the Assyrians the the enemies of God's people. They were evil people, yes. So a a just God could have wiped them out. And Jonah's wrestling with the justice of God. Even more particularly, he's wrestling with the love of God. How could God love those kind of people? Have you struggled with this before? God, if I were in your shoes, if I were on the throne, the just thing to do, the right thing to do would be this to those people. Not to yourself, of course, but to those people. God, if if I were in your shoes, I would love those kind of people and not these kind of people. Do you ever wrestle with the justice and the love of God? How can a just God love wicked and rebellious people? Hello, Jonah, who do you think you are? (laughs) How do you think you got here to Nineveh in the first place? A rebellious prophet has been brought here by the divine grace of God. And that's what Jonah is after. Not only the justice of God and the love of God, Jonah is struggling with what you might call the sovereignty of divine grace. That God shows compassion on whom he shows compassion. He shows mercy on whom he shows mercy. And that sometimes goes against our sensibilities. It is like when the prodigal son runs home and the elder brother is ticked off. Because how could the father welcome someone like this that blew everything and ended up in the pigsty and blew everything much less throw a party for him? That goes against all of my sensibilities. I don't like it. I'm going to say people, good people. (laughs) Hopefully you're understanding that what Jonah is struggling with is ridiculous. But sometimes we're ridiculous as well in our own hearts. We sometimes wonder why God doesn't save more people. Other times we wonder why God has saved those kind of people. All of this after Jonah's obedience. You would hope that what he saw would bring him joy. But Jonah's obedience has produced some sort of self-justification. He was hoping it would produce a big, I told you so. I think Jonah was hoping that he would go to Nineveh and what he would see is a rejection of this call. And then he would see, I told you God would take you out and get joy with seeing the wrath of God, the just wrath of God fall on those people. So Jonah's struggling with the Lord. Struggling with The ways of the Lord, the justice of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God. But Jonah's not only struggling with the Lord, though he is, 
The Lord, the wise counselor that he is, keeps asking Jonah's questions. Do you do well to be angry with this? Should I not pity these people? God is gracious and slow to anger with Jonah. He could smite him right now for his rebellion, but he doesn't. But the Lord is asking him these questions, much as you do in a conversation, right? Ask like he did in the garden. Where are you? He's drawing that out of sinners, calling sinners, sinners to himself, making Jonah wrestle with his own heart. So Jonah is not only wrestling with the Lord, much like you and I, he is wrestling with his own heart. And so just as we did with the Lord, what Jonah is struggling with, understanding the ways of God, let's, let's kind of peel back the layers of Jonah's heart to see what he's struggling with. Let's put some categories in place. And, and isn't it pride that sneaks up in our hearts? Jonah is prideful. At the base level, he is prideful, self-exalting, and feels entitled. This is who I am. God owes it to me, we might say. I'm a prophet of the Lord. This is what I deserve to happen. Is there pride sneaking up in your own heart? Is there entitlement sneaking up in your own heart where you no longer are humbled and rejoice in the grace that God has shown you? but you think it's something that you've earned. Let's peel back the layers of Jonah's heart. He is a prideful person. One thing that we can see about Jonah's heart is that he is a know-it-all. He thinks he knows better than God. He thinks he's wiser with God than God. He, is, he thinks his ways are better than God. So do you have that in your heart at times? Jonah's a know-it-all. Something else we see in this passage is not only as we kind of peel back these layers of Jonah's heart to get to the root of it, Jonah is self-focused. His eyes are not on the Lord. You see this in this passage. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Listen to the personal pronouns here. Oh, Lord, is, it, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And so we see as Jonah even converses with the Lord, have you ever asked the Lord to, to stop and say, what, what am I praying? What is, what, does that show something about my heart? Jonah's praying to the Lord. It's all about me. Jonah's a know-it-all. Jonah is self-focused. And it appears that Jonah is somewhat of a nationalist. Not that it's bad to be in great joy of the nation you live I'm, I'm proud of the nation I live in. But Jonah took that to an extreme, did he not? Listen to what he says. While I was yet in my country, there was this pride here that he did not want to see these Ninevites infiltrate the people of God. He was proud of who he was in a ungodly way, so much so that he did not want these people to taste and see that the Lord is good. Jonah was a know-it-all. Jonah was self-focused. He appeared to be struggling with this pride in who he was instead of rejoicing in who God was. Jonah is a bit of a legalist, no doubt. It's evil people who deserve judgment and good people deserve salvation. Look at them. They should get what they deserve. So I'm going to set up a booth outside the city and hope that they get what they 
deserve, not realizing that none of us deserve the grace and mercy of God, and that's why it's grace and mercy. Have you asked the Lord to search your heart? Do you think you're entitled to God's grace by some performance, some goodness, some morality, a church attendance, or whatever it might be? Jonah's struggling with this. He's struggling with the Lord. He's struggling with his own heart. Jonah, no doubt, is self-righteous. Jonah has forgotten who he is. His own rebellion, his own salvation, his own need of grace, his own prayer just a few short weeks ago where he was saying, Lord, thank you for your steadfast love and mercy. Jonah was self-righteous. Do you feel that towards people? Do you look at people as your rivals or your competition, people you need to outperform? Listen to what God says when he calls the people of God in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. He says, It was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and has redeemed you from the house of slavery. It's like, Jonah, don't you get it? But the very reason that you are called out is not because of who you are, but because of the character of God and who he is. He has set his love on you and you have forgotten the grace and mercy of the Lord. And now you've become self-righteous. The next thing I want you to see about Jonah is not only is he has self-righteousness in his heart, this final one will bring us to our next point, that Jonah is a theologian. Jonah knows his Bible. He knows the character of God. He quotes here Psalm, I mean, excuse me, Exodus 34. When God revealed himself to his people, and Moses asked, what is your name? God revealed himself, his covenantal name to his people, and said, I am gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful, relenting from disaster. This is who I am. This is the heart of God. And Jonah knew that. He was a theologian. He was a prophet. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, Do you use your theology to justify your own position instead of to reflect the heart of God? Do do, do you seek to learn things about the Lord in order to justify yourself or in order to reflect the love and heart of God so that others might know him? This is something we need to think about. What do you do with your biblical knowledge? This is something we see in the Garden of Eden, don't we? Do you remember this? Man and women, women Adam and Eve fall into sin. Remember Adam's response? Where are you? What happened? The Lord asked. The woman you gave me, she made me do it. The theology is right. God gave the woman to Adam as a suitable helper, a strong helper, a woman to perfectly complement who he was. Yes, that's true. But it's her fault. So so, so do you see how quickly that seeps in? God, I knew who you are. I knew you could do this and you did it. I did not want that to happen. Those people, those evil people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So ask yourself the question, what do you do with your knowledge of God? Do you use it for self-exaltation, for self-justification, for self-promotion, for your own idols, for your own agenda? Or do you humbly say, God, this is who you are. 
and I will proclaim to who you, who you are. I will proclaim your character. I will proclaim your love, your grace, and your mercy and follow you on your mission. And so that brings us to our next one. We see Jonah's hearts. God is gracious to him. He keeps asking him the question, Jonah, what's going on? Why, do you really, should you really be angry at this? But we see something about Jonah. In, in the depths of his heart, here's, here's one of the next thing I want you to see. Not only do we see Jonah's heart, but we see God's heart. We see God's heart for humanity. And that Jonah is so off of the mission and the heart of God that he'd rather die. What do we mean by the heart of God? We mean the character of God. We mean who God is. What is God like? And I told you a second ago what Jonah is quoting there. God, God I knew this is who you'd be. Theology is great. That's exactly right. Exodus 34, you can read it, 6 and following. When God reveals himself, this is exactly what he says, that God is gracious and merciful. Jonah doesn't say it here, but this is revealed in Exodus chapter 34, that he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. This is the heart of God. This is who God is. He is gracious and merciful. It's not that he isn't just. That he doesn't deal with our sin or ignores our sin. He forgives our sin. He is gracious and merciful and the punishment of our sin falls on Christ. And it's not just some kinds of sins. It's not as though the Ninevites could not be saved because they cut noses off of people and stacked people's heads up and were completely ruthless people. They were not beyond the grace and mercy of God. Just like if you search your heart to the depths and realize the darkness of your own heart, brothers and sisters, you are not beyond the grace and mercy of the Lord. He forgives. And not just some kinds of sin. So for those of you who feel that there's some sort of category of sin that is beyond God's forgiveness, submit your own opinion about that to the Word of God. Here's what he says in Exodus chapter 34, three times, I mean, three words. He says iniquity, transgression, and sin. All three, as one pastor says, all three Hebrew words for sin here is to show that all sorts and degrees of sin are forgivable. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. He piles them up to make plain what he means. There are no categories of unforgivable sins. The only sin that is unforgivable is sin that is not repented of. If you can repent and turn away from your sin, you can be forgiven. God is gracious and merciful and he clears the guilty. Jonah, don't you see it? Riverside, don't we see it? He's abounding in steadfast love. Jonah says, absolutely, that's who God is. This is magnificent. Not only does he love us, his love is steadfast. It's faithful. It's unwavering. It's unchanging. He sets his love on us, and that love will not let us go, for he loved us first, and we are secure in that love. And when you think you are unlovable, let me tell you something, his love is unbounding. It's like a mountain spring that keeps bubbling up over and over, inexhaustible, never running out. His love is abounding and steadfast. This is who your God is. Don't you want the nations to know that? Jonah says, I'd rather die than see those people know that. It's good for me, but not for them. He's slow to anger. You're right, Jonah. That's exactly who I am. God is slow to anger. It's not that he doesn't notice our sin, but he is gracious and merciful. He loves us and he forgives our sin. 
One pastor says it like this. I love how they describe this. Love cannot last where anger has a hair trigger. If God's anger had a hair trigger, his love would not last one day in my life. He describes it like this. If rockets of wrath shot out from God's eyes every time I sin, I would be blown to smithereens before I got out of bed in the morning. But here God shouts from Mount Sinai. He shouts to Jonah in the course of this prayer. Don't you see it? Do you do well to be angry? I am slow to anger. And you saw that with the Ninevites. Isn't this glorious? And he relents from disaster. He relents from disaster. He turns back the wrath that we deserve. And the disaster falls upon as it is for us in in the person of Jesus Christ, on the cross of Jesus Christ. All of the wrath of God falls upon Christ. And he relents from disaster. We are no longer under the wrath of God because it's all fallen upon Jesus Christ. Why? Because of who you are? No, because of the character of God. He is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love, relenting from disaster. He is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. One of the most famous passages of Scripture. He says, Come to me all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the heart of God. For sinners to come find rest in him. And he will will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Ninevites experienced this burden-lifting grace of the Lord. And Jonah said, I wish that were not so. And so God asked his grace and mercy, Jonah, who do you think you are? Do you have a right to be angry? God is so patient with Jonah and he is so patient with you and I. The wonderful counselor is coming to Jonah yet again. God is giving Jonah another chance to submit clearly to who God is. To the gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and relenting from disaster. So as we come to a time where we close out this sermon... Do you see some of this darkness in your own heart? Would you turn your eyes to the heart of God and who he is? Maybe you're a believer and, and, and you're wondering if God should save those people. Maybe you're wondering if God could save those people who seem so far off. God, They will never come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know who God is and how merciful he's been to you? How the gospel got to your ears in probably a very unlikely way. God will do it for them too. Go tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Perhaps you're wondering, man, I feel more like the Ninevites. I don't know if God could ever love someone like me. To those who don't measure up, God is gracious. To those who are in need of mercy, God is merciful. To the guilty, God is forgiving. And what this word means is that he literally lifts and carries our burdens from us. He lifts the guilt of sin off our shoulders and he carries it away. To those who are rebellious, God is slow to anger. To the unlovable, to those who feel unlovable, God is abounding in steadfast love. To those who are constantly wavering, his love is steadfast. He is faithful. He always comes through. 
To those who are constantly needing to be loved, take heart, brothers and sisters, his love is abounding. It's overflowing. To those who are headed for disaster, the Lord relents from disaster those who trust in him. Disaster will not overcome you if you are one of his. Yes, death may even take you, but even that is swallowed up by life if you are in Christ. Jesus received your judgment on the cross. Either you face God's judgment or your own, or you trust in Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you are covered with the blood of the Lamb, and the death angel passes over you, and you go free. Why? Because what you've done? Not because of who God is. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He forgives sin and iniquity and all sorts of things, anything you can imagine. And he relents from disaster. Maybe there's times when you feel impossible to love, guilty of sin, again, wavering, needy, and surely headed for disaster. Would you hear this morning of the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus? Would we search our own hearts Maybe we're more like Jonah. We preach grace and we live lives of law. We celebrate God's forgiveness yet remain bitter and unforgiving to those around us. We cover people with grudges and hate while thankful that love covers a multitude of sins for us. Would we rather see someone judged than graced, condemned rather than forgiving? If it wasn't for God's character, Jonah would be done and we would be done. We want mercy for me and justice for others. We want to be covered by grace and judge others by the law. May God give us a heart, a heart of God that rejoices in who he is. It's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. How will you respond to the heart of God? For you, in your own life. And how will you be on mission with God's mission, with God's heart? And we will be like Christ. And we'll always say, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. For he is merciful. He is gracious. He is gentle and lowly, and in him you will find rest for your souls. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer.